There's several ways that we can talk <laughs> about our practice. When we, when we look to uh, questions of how we develop over time, what the trajectory of practice is. And of course, we have the model of the Buddha's development towards full awakening. And there are several different models that we can point to, uh, both given by the Buddha and developed in other Buddhist traditions. And so we have, uh, we have that model of uh, coming to awakening. And the Buddha often talks about stages of awakening. In the Theravadan tradition, there are typically four stages leading to full awakening. We don't work very much with those models here at Spirit Rock, but that's certainly there in the text. A more contemporary model we have from uh, Mahasi Sayadaw, uh, from the Burmese tradition. It's a model of the progress of insight, of the way that particularly in retreat practice, that there can be a development beyond the ordinary mind into seeing more clearly and coming to fundamental insights about uh, the nature of our experience, the nature of things. And there also are other models that we have in other traditions of coming uh, coming from our ordinary conditioning into... um, different dimensions of awakening. So we have that in the Thai forest tradition. There can be this opening to what's called the radiant mind. And we have opening in other traditions to what can be called awakened awareness. And uh, in in other traditions, it can go yet further. One of the uh, models that we have uh, given by the Buddha is a model of what are called the paramis, or the uh, core virtues or perfections. And uh, these are 10 qualities which, uh, if developed, are, according to some of the texts, equivalent to being a Buddha. So there's a passage in the text where it says, uh, where uh, Sariputta asked the Buddha, how many qualities are there issuing in Buddhahood and being awake? Uh, we might say, full of wisdom and love and, and compassion and so forth. And the Buddha answers, there are 10 qualities issuing in Buddhahood with giving or generosity as the first. And he, he gives this model. And some of you know this model because Sylvia Borstein uh, did an entire book based on the model of the paramis. And these are a model of 10 qualities which one, which one one develops them, moves one towards being awake and having one's heart and one's mind free. And the qualities that are listed in the uh, Theravada tradition are the qualities of generosity and being ethical, renunciation, wisdom, energy. Awake people are energetic rather than lethargic. <laughs> Um, patience, being truthful, having determination, being full of metta, and having equanimity. And that there's a, there's a parallel list which you find in Mahayana tradition, which doesn't have all the same qualities, but more or less the same, and is the basis for the training of the bodhisattva, the being who is dedicated to both 
awakening for oneself and helping others to awaken and helping others in general. And so it's these qualities, both um, when developed, bring one towards greater qualities of being awake. And they also, as one is more awake, they manifest more naturally. And so I thought that that model could be very helpful, particularly in light of the next period of time around Thanksgiving. And I wanted to particularly focus today on the first of those qualities of uh, generosity or dana, and, and particularly point to it as a kind of practice which we might uh, take on. In other words, we can take on the cultivation of generosity and exploring what we find along the way. And as with all of our practices, when we have the intention to develop generosity, we both find ways to open to more of that quality and we find what, as it were, gets in the way. We find what our conditioning is that makes generosity hard. We find uh, with our mindfulness what is... um, is difficult for us in terms of generosity. So that's what I want to talk about today, the nature of generosity and how to practice it. And my hope is that everyone here will agree to take on a generosity practice for the next week, even if you're not going to be here, and come back and report next week on what you found. Okay? And I'm going to give, in the last part of the talk, a number of different ways to practice generosity, very much ordinary ways to practice. So, so for example, I did a form of generosity practice uh, getting here from the East Bay, which was I take, I've been taking, as some of you know, uh, my experience of driving as a form of generosity practice. So I take the strong intention to manifest generosity while driving. And I, it was good to remember it today. And I, it was hard to forget, given I knew I was going to talk about generosity. But I've noticed I've been slipping in my driving practice in terms of generosity lately. So it means, oh yes, you really need to cut in there. <laughs> Let me offer you the space to cut in. I know there's something really important that you're getting to, or or you know, or something like that, or just to. Um, <laughs> too much generosity practice has its manifestations uh, um, but that, that would be an example so I'll come back to that so I want to talk uh, generally about generosity talk about some ways to practice it and then have discussion to hear from you maybe what you've some of your thoughts some maybe some of your own experiences working to cultivate generosity And again, I'm particularly thinking about this. I think next week, I'll see where we are. I'll probably continue some with generosity, but also bring in gratitude in partial relation to the holiday of Thanksgiving. And there's actually, uh, in many ways, a a close connection of generosity and gratitude that that, uh, uh, we may 
most fully give often out of a sense of gratitude for what we've been given. You know, and that sense of gratitude and generosity can go very closely together. And we'll look at that more more next time. And so, of course, generosity is a direct counter to uh, greed. And again, we, we often think about the core conditioning that's problematic in terms of naming greed, hatred, and delusion, right? And so generosity is a direct counter to that conditioning to, be, to have greed. And it can work really very beautifully and fundamentally. And I'll, I'll come back to that a little bit later. And there, there are ways also that gratitude is one of the ways that we counter the second of the so-called three poisons, that gratitude can counter a kind of reactive aversion. You know, that, you know, I, I found as, as someone who is conditioned, particularly to look into what's problematic about a situation, you know, to see the glass, maybe to focus on the glass being um, half empty rather than half full. And to be, you know, to go in a situation and be able to, with my problem-solving ability to see what the issues are and be able to remedy them. That was, I think, my conditioning. Anyone else share that? Probably a lot of us, right? right? And so I found, for example, that uh, gratitude is, uh, is very helpful because with, you know, with that capacity for problem-solving, obviously very useful in some circumstances, but it also can come with a tendency to be aversive. Oh, there's this problem. There's that problem. Oh, I see the problems really clearly. There are a lot of problems, right? And uh, I found that cultivating gratitude can really help with that conditioning around tendencies to be aversive. So, and then of course, the third area is that of delusion. And when we cultivate generosity and gratitude, in many ways, we're cutting through that which stands in the way of, uh, of seeing clearly. Particularly, um, generosity cuts through self-centeredness and, the, and the, the, the desire to accumulate for myself. In other words, it cuts through the tendencies to greed. And I, and I was thinking of the, um, the example that I'd like to give of when uh, Diana Winston and I uh, taught a class called Greed Management. It was heavily publicized, and we had extremely low enrollment. <laughs> but we went on anyway. We, had, we actually had uh, five students and two teachers. But we were really into the exploration, and we didn't really care. You know? And the five people, I have to say, they were well-motivated. And so we... We had this, uh, I think, a five-week class, and we actually looked deeply. I had never looked at greed so carefully. And we had this um, invitation to look at greed when it manifested in our minds for big things, for small things. And um, I remember we, we had the five weeks, and the, the last uh, session, the last, uh, we had kind of a final exam. And there was, at this time, this was about 15 years ago, there was a newly opened, some of you may remember, there was a newly opened Bed Bath & Beyond in uh, El Cerrito. And we had as our final exam 
30 minutes of silent walking meditation at the newly opened Bed Bath & Beyond, (laughs) watching one's mind all the time, tracking for any signs of greed. (laughs) It was a fascinating experience because uh, I had never been to a Bed Bath & Beyond before that, and of course there were many, many products that I never knew existed, uh, meeting needs that I never knew existed as well. (laughs) And so... Um, But what we found in the five weeks, we had a much more in-depth sense of the nature of greed. And it was a lot, you know, we we found certain qualities that that were there with greed. And and again, I'll invite you in the next week to explore this, see what you find. Because again, part of the practice of generosity is to cultivate the quality. Part of it is to see what stands in the way. What we found was the nature of greed were a few things. We found that, of course, it's extremely self-centered. It's all about me. There's very little consideration, if any, typically none, for other people or their needs. It also has a compulsive quality, like I need this and nothing else is on my mind. When there's greed, it's extremely compulsive. There's also virtually no sense of consequences when there's greed. You know, it's like, I need this, nothing else matters. That's the extreme form. And it's, uh, and I need to get this. And so linked to that, there's sometimes a sense when people looked at greed of being out of control. That, that greed just takes me over and I have to have this, whatever it is, uh, an experience, an object, whatever. And, uh, my usual wisdom is not there. My sense of interconnection is not there. And so that's some of what we, we want to look at. That's, that was interesting, right? And sometimes we found also there was a sense of entitlement or privilege, right? Like, I deserve this, right? Me, special me. So again, uh, that's some of the conditioning that we might find when we, when we cultivate generosity, So we find, uh, I'm going to talk about generosity as a quality, both in Buddhist practice, but also it's helpful to look to how it appears in other traditions. And I think we can see how fundamental a quality it is. And, you know, we, we often, uh, at the end of retreats, give what we call dana talks. Dana is the Pali word for generosity. And we often reflect that, you know, the, the dana talks are often... The, you know, or the talks about giving in relationship to supporting the teachers at, after retreats because we're not given a stipend, for example, by Spirit Rock. But we very seldomly talk about uh, generosity in depth as a fundamental practice, and that's, that's what I want to do. And I think when we see how it's talked about both in uh, Buddhist tradition and in other traditions, we can see how crucial it is. It's really connected with wisdom, with opening the heart, and with having a clear sense of an appropriate way to live. It's a very deep quality. And um, I was also thinking that it's something which is, I think, part of the natural tendency of all of us. In some way, the conditioning that all of us have had covers over that natural, natural generosity. You know, my mother told me the story of when I was about uh, two years old. And my brother had just been born. 
my brother Frederick had just been born. And uh, at that time, my most precious object in life was a uh, red uh, fire truck, toy fire truck. And so um, right after my brother was born, my first act was to bring the red fire truck into his crib. (laughs) My mother was both uh, appreciative, but also a little bit appalled because it was incredibly filthy (laughs) and dirty. So she got a little bit shocked by that. But I think there's something about that, that in certain circumstances, we can see generosity is really a natural response. We see that often in crises, right? You know, probably, many of you probably have responded to help people connect with the fires or maybe some of the many things happening in the world, right? That when we're not scared and when we uh, are open, generosity is a natural impulse, that it, it's there. You know, and I've, I think we've all probably seen these in many ways. I, I was, you know, another situation where I really noticed this personally was when I was in my 20s, I, was, I grew up in the Washington, D.C. area, and I spent a lot of time in the southern mountains, you know, particularly in the mountains of Virginia. My brother and I built a cabin there, and we would go there, spend a lot of time there. And actually, in building the cabin, all the people in the area gave us materials to build the cabin. We didn't, the only thing we bought for this whole small house was the roof. Everything else was contributed, and there was such a high level of generosity. And I, I think also just of my recent trip going to North Carolina, Kentucky, Washington, D.C. for three years, incredible generosity of people offering places to stay, of offering rides, all sorts of things. You know, and I think we know that, right? That generosity can just be there as a very natural response. So we have to ask, you know, why do we need to make it a practice? How does it get covered over? Because it does, right? We have conditioning around that. So in, in Judaism, the concept of giving is called uh, sedika, and sometimes translated as charity. Uh, and it's linked, the word is linked with other words uh, which mean uh, justice and righteousness. So the quality of giving is linked with these very deep qualities of justice and righteousness, and something very similar in Christianity, you know, the word charity um, was a translation of the, the Greek word agape, which means unconditional love. And so the deeper meaning of charity is unconditional love. So it's actually the deepest quality that one can have. And this is associated with the word forgiving. And it was supposed to be the way that when there was a deep love of God, one would manifest this by giving to all other, other beings. And so that, that very word charity, which now actually has somewhat of a um, diminished meaning, uh, actually originally had a very deep and powerful meaning as being connected to what's most precious. So we find that. We find that in different traditions. In Islam, there are five pillars of daily practice. Uh, giving is one of them. One is really invited as a core practice to give and particularly to give those in need to counter greed, to counter any tendencies to hoarding. And the word itself is zakat and it has, um, it actually means purification. 
So we start to get a hint. I think we'll find all of these meanings in Buddhist practice, that generosity, which we can think of as sort of a, a secondary practice. Meditation is the real practice, right? And generosity is secondary, but it actually seems connected with issues of justice, of purification, and of love, right? If we look to these other traditions. And I was also thinking of how it manifests in indigenous traditions. You know, there's that phrase, the gift that keeps giving, which you find in indigenous traditions. And very, very central. And I I think I've sometimes spoken about my experience. It was about 20 years ago of being invited to a potlatch in northern British Columbia with, from, with, uh, from an indigenous friend and spending about a week there and going to a three-day potlatch. Potlatch is a gift-giving ceremony that is um, um, having a resurgence uh, because the uh, Christian missionaries convinced the Canadian government to outlaw it. <laughs> it was actually outlawed for, from about 1880 to 1951. The Christian missionaries thought it, there was too much giving and that it was that people were showing off their giving. You know. um, and so the, the, the uh, practice has come back and, uh, and it was beautiful to be part of a three-day ceremony which was centered around everyone giving to everyone for three days. I got gifts. I was a visitor to the community, but I got gifts for about 500 people. Everyone got gifts. There was continual gift giving for three days. You know, there were a lot of other things happening. Uh, There were dances and ceremonies and, you know, uh, people adopted each other. It was a lot about interconnection. So you see, in that tradition, it's about interconnection and community. So you can start to see that giving is a very precious quality. Interesting also to see the etymology of the word generosity, a little bit different than charity, which is connected with, with qualities of love. The, um, the word uh, generous comes from the word genere, which means uh, to beget or to kind of to generate. And it's also, it's the, the word genius comes out of the same root. So we have words like generosity, which can be related to generative and genius and that which really uh, sort of uh, fills out our lives. Okay, so I'm, okay, you're convinced? Generosity is this amazing, amazing quality. And yet there are, um, there's all sorts of cultural conditioning, isn't there? You know, when, I, when I've worked with groups, and I've worked with groups sometimes where there was very deep intimacy, groups of where we would meet, you know, every week or every two weeks or every month. I've done a lot of groups over the last years, and often where we ha- would have tremendous intimacy and people would be willing to talk about almost anything, you know, what I found was that uh, money was the last thing they wanted to talk about. <laughs> they would talk in great detail about sexuality, about all sorts of, you know, conditioning, challenges. They'd talk about relationships. Money was the hardest. Isn't that interesting? I don't know if you found that. Does that resonate? That you would expect that? That's what I found. That uh, people could, you know, it was amazing. They could talk about all these things that they wouldn't talk about with strangers, but money was harder, right? There is a lot of conditioning, a lot of unconscious material about that. Fear, sense of scarcity, all sorts of things. And it's very interesting. And um, 
This is from uh, the uh, uh, poet John O'Donohue. He says, a generous heart is never lonesome. A generous heart has luck. The lonesomeness of contemporary life is partly due to the failure of generosity. Does that resonate? There's something about, and we can see that on every level. We can see that, you know, of course there is a lot of generosity at times, but we can see a lack of generosity. You can see it, you know, in probably related to, you know, um, you know, I know many of you know the Congress is once again, you know, they're dealing with taxes, right? And there are going to be a lot of, you know, with that, there are all sorts of issues related to the government, about people feeling bad, about giving to people in need, all sorts of material there, right? All sorts of, uh, you know, and a lot of those issues probably are part of the unconscious material behind the current discussion, which which often doesn't really directly get at issues. Um, This is from uh, this is from a book called Hooked about consumerism. Uh, a writer named Joseph Epstein says the practice of generosity can serve as a corrective to addictive consumerism. Generosity enacts the quality of non-greed as a willingness to share, to let go. It may be a giving of time or energy or resources, love, and even in rare cases, one's own life. Generosity weakens the tendency of attachment and grasping and is intimately connected with the feeling of loving-kindness. People who experience the power of joy and generosity will also experience its effect on consuming. The cultivation of generosity offers a very strong antidote to the wanting mind and would be a powerful corrective if taken up in a widespread way across our culture. So I know I often say in giving a Donna talk at the end of retreats, that this is partly about the situation we're in, but it's partly also about developing more, at least a subculture of generosity that might have an effect on the larger culture. So there are all sorts of, all sorts of questions there. In the Buddhist context, again, generosity was so, is so central. It's the first of the uh, paramis. It's mentioned first, and often... It's the first quality taught to young ones. You know, if you go to someone like, somewhere like Thailand and see people uh, um, who live in villages near the monasteries, there is still the ritual going on in the 21st century of members of the village awakening at dawn and giving the food of the day to the monks or nuns as they walk silently by the village. And young very young children are given a little bit of food to give. They're trained in generosity from a very young age. It's said that when the Buddha was giving his exposition of the core teachings, he would always start with the cultivation of generosity. When he gives the full teachings... Generosity was always what was taught at the beginning. This is from uh, Bhikkhu Bodhi, who is one of the great Western scholars of Buddhism and a a monk and someone who's developed an organization, some of you know of, called Buddhist Relief, which is trying to give on Buddhist bases, trying to find ways to offer support for the needy around the world. 
And so he says this, the practice of giving does not by its own nature conduce directly and immediately to the arising of insight and the realization of the Four Noble Truths. But giving functions rather in a different capacity. It doesn't come at the apex of the path, but rather it serves as a basis and preparation which underlies and quietly supports the entire endeavor to free the mind from greed, hatred, and delusion. So giving is this support practice. And I imagine that there are also moments where the practice of generosity can open to very powerful insight. So I might question a little bit what he was said. In the tradition, there's an emphasis, especially on one's motivation in giving and looking at the motivation. And there's, there's, um, um, there's also a focus on what one gives. And so the effort is to give what is suitable to the occasion. This, this, is, uh, this is from a text called The Perfection of Giving. Giving is threefold by way of the object to be given, the giving of material things, the giving of fearlessness, or the giving of the Dhamma or the giving of the teachings or practices, which is said to be the highest giving. So it's interesting that fearlessness is also mentioned as something you give. So in a sense, what that points to is that we actually give by our very being. We give by our presence. We give by our very nature. And that is a very supreme form of giving. You know, there's a, there's a beautiful line in uh, Walt Whitman's uh, Song of Myself, his great, his great long poem. And he says, Behold, I do not give lectures or a little charity. When I give, I give myself. Right. And so there, I think that's, that's consonant. There's that sense. We give fearlessness. We give our beautiful qualities to each other. And that is actually a very powerful form of giving. And so we give... We give, so giving is not just about giving material objects or giving funds or money, but it's also about giving our best qualities. And that I think we do sometimes even without thinking about it. But it expands that sense of generosity. Resonant, you know. So you know, I guess it means that we're, when, we're, when our best qualities are manifested, go hang out with people. And when they're not, or when your negative qualities... Just stay home. <laughs> Something like that. The Buddha didn't say that. but uh, In the Mahayana tradition, there's a sense that there can be what, what's called a threefold purity in giving. There can be a pure, there are purity in relationship uh, to uh, one's own mind, that there can be no sense of self-centeredness in the giving. And if you look to a lot of the texts, their identification of all the ways that we can actually be giving that are on the way, but they can have manifestations of self-centeredness. So I can give because I think it will make me look good. Right? Or I can give because I think that maybe I'll get something in return. Or I'll give because someone else gave to me and I should reciprocate. Now those are not to be... Uh, uh, Criticized totally, but again, part of the practice is to see what the motivation is and to see what's there when we give. And to see, again, there's this notion in the Mahayana tradition of giving without any sense of self, 
without any sense of recipient and without any sense of the act of giving. That would be taken to be a pure giving where one doesn't even think, oh, look at me. I just gave. Cool. I'm really developing my spiritual practice. I can bring it back and talk next Wednesday about it. (laughs) Right? And so again, um, it's not that these won't appear. They will, of course. You know, but we, again, uh, all of this is, is the, in this uh, sense of practice, right? I, I love that quality of practice because it means whatever we find is grist for the mill, right? Whatever we find is part of a learning experience. It's not like we say, oh, look at that. I gave and I had a lot of sense of self. Not a problem. It's something just to look at watch the tendency to judge oneself because of that, but just keep on learning, keep on going. And so the, the high level of generosity would mean that it's a natural expression that we manifest without any thoughts, either of self or of other. It's just part of our nature increasingly. And again, I think we know when that happens in us, right? We can all probably think of times when that's been the case for us, where we just give very easily. And again, it may, we, we don't need to think just about giving materially. It can be giving time, visiting someone in need, and so forth. Those are all forms of giving that are very, are, are very important. And so some of the teachings point to how to see when there might be a limited view related to giving. And they're actually, in some of the texts, they go into great detail mentioning all the ways that we can have self-centered views related to our giving. It's something to look at. Um, it's said that there are five rewards of generosity. Okay? So, I guess, having just said what I said... Um, you can hear the rewards, and if you're motivated by them and you hope to get the rewards by giving, then that would fall under the, the list of problematic motivation. But this is, this is more just hear this and then forget it. <laughs> okay, so there are, these are the five rewards of generosity. One is dear and appealing to people at large. Anyone want that? <laughs> okay. One is admired by good people. Okay. One's good name is spread about. One does not stray from the rightful duties that you have. And the last one, with the breakup of the body at death, one reappears in a good destination in the heavenly worlds. So if the, if the first four didn't do it for you, then maybe the last one <laughs> does. And so, how to practice. I'll just mention a few ways of practicing and then we can, can share together. Let's see. So again, um, a multitude of ways to practice. One would be to take some area of your life and whenever you're engaged in that activity, take it as a practice of generosity. My example of driving was one way to do it. You could take every time you drive, say, I will practice generosity. I found it's quite wonderful. I don't drive so much, but um, something just clicks, right? So you could do that. You could, take, you could take every time I am 
You know, maybe you're, you know, doing some parenting, or maybe you are in a relationship to uh, being a helper. Maybe you have a, a work that is one of the helping professions. And just take at the beginning of your period of doing that activity the intention to cultivate generosity. And you may be already manifesting a lot of generosity, but you'll find that bringing the intention to the activity helps a lot. So that's one way, bring generosity. And I'm going to be saying a number of these, and I want to see, want to ask you to see which of these resonates with you as a practice you would like to do in the next week. Okay? Um, Driving, (laughs) other activities, could be even in your work, your being with certain people. Another way would simply be to take on every day saying, I will commit one generous act every day and just take that on and make sure that you do it. And, and that could, again, could mean many, many things. Uh, I, I, I was looking at uh, Sylvia's book, uh, Pay Attention for Goodness Sake, which is her uh, interpretation of the paramis, as many of you know. So she has a chapter on generosity. And she mentioned actually giving people the practice of not just doing one thing a day, which was generous, but five things a day. So that's advanced practice. If you want to take that on, or do three, or see what seem, seems appropriate. But, you know, it's getting late in the day, and you, you're only you've committed to committed to five, and you're at, you're at three, then you have to do some things right at the last moment, you know. So just think what that is. But the, the main thing is to have that activation of the, of the uh, intention to be generous. And again, that these, these will all go a long way. And as we're doing the practice, we, we, want, to, we want to see, again, what's the motivation? What does generosity feel like? What's there? And then also see what comes up, what gets in the way. There's always that dual focus of our mindfulness. What does generosity feel like? What's it like in the body? What are my thoughts connected with it? To what extent is it connected with what we might call uh, near enemies, that sense of I'm giving and I hope I look good or I hope I get something in return or whatever. You know, a whole list of those we could mention. And uh, so to see what gets in the way of generosity and what does generosity feel like, to really explore that. Um, Others might be to, you know, one thing that I did for a period of time was when I was walking in a, you know, for me this is especially walking in, in Berkeley, I would always bring food with me and give food to those in need. You know, you could do something like that. You could also maybe uh, bring money and give it away, you know, and, and see what that feels like. Some of you know of a study that was done, a very interesting study, where they gave uh, two groups of people. One was a control group. They gave the group uh, $50. Everyone got a gift of $50. And the first group was told, do something which is nice for yourself. And the second group was told, give it to others. <laughs> and then at the end, uh, when, when, when people had done uh, what they were asked to do, they did a measure of the degree of happiness. They had some kind of measure, way to measure happiness and they found that the people who had given away the money rather than used it for their own needs were way happier. That's interesting, isn't it? You know, they found that there was something 
because generosity is connected with a sense of freedom, a sense of connection, a sense of letting go. Now, one thing which I didn't mention yet, which is really important, is that in the classical teachings, when the guidelines are given about giving, it's very important that giving does not hurt oneself. That's an interesting part of it. It's very prominent in the teachings. It's that giving should not injure oneself. Right? And so the giving should not be, as it were, too much. You know? And I, I find myself giving Donna talk saying, not to give too much, not to give too little. What's appropriate? That's a very interesting part of the teaching, isn't it? So it's not saying just give, even though in the, you know, in the stories, the Buddha, in some of the uh, stories of his past lives, would actually give at the cost of his own life. Some of you know those stories. They're stories of when he was, I think, once a hare, and he noticed a very hungry, starving tiger, and he gave his life to the tiger. And there are other stories like that. But, but still, the guideline is, for us, I think, as practitioners, not to have the giving be harmful to oneself. Really, really crucial. And of course, there are ways that we could also uh, bring generosity into our institutions, right? There could be more generosity, uh, maybe, you know, in inst- local institutions or, of course, national institutions. Can you, can you bring more of a sense of generosity to your local schools or toward your, toward your community or where you live or your extended family? Some of your practice might be at that level of bringing more generosity and not just at an individual level, but at the level of community or at the level of institutions. Because I think ultimately, that's an area I haven't talked much about, the, you know, we, we need a lot more generosity. And even you know, generosity can be a lead when we look at even how we do economics. You know, and of course, there is a great need in our culture to really transform a lot of our economic system. Again, I could say a lot more about that. I think we know a lot there. You know, and I, I often remember the story. Uh, it's a clipping that I, that I like to cite uh, from a time when the stock market was not doing well. And someone remarked about the uh, stock market. You know, we have two cycles here. One is the greed cycle and one is the fear cycle. We're in the fear cycle now. So normally it's the greed cycle, right? So that's very very crucial institutions where greed is so central. That's not... We know, we know that has, has consequences, right? We know that has consequences to, in, uh, to all of us and to uh, people in this culture, people in other countries as well. So that's the big picture, right? That's the big picture. So let me uh, finish by just reading uh, two readings. Uh, one, is, one is from the uh, classical text about generosity from the, from the teachings of the Buddha. What is the treasure of generosity? There is the case of a disciple of the noble ones, that person's awareness cleansed of the stain of stinginess. Living at home, freely generous, open-handed, delighting in being magnanimous, magnanimous 
responsive to requests, delighting in the distribution of alms. This is called the treasure of generosity. And then this is from a um, Zen teacher named Steve Stuckey, who I think died just a few years ago, connected with the San Francisco Zen Center. He said, and this is connecting generosity to gratitude, the spirit of giving is based on a feeling of gratitude, of being deeply thankful for the ability to give and to receive, to be freely willing to participate in this reciprocal turning of life energy. So let's just sit for a moment, then we can talk together. And you might even reflect, where do I feel drawn in terms of a possible way of practicing generosity in the next week? Thank you. So any, any uh, questions or comments or could be also uh, stories to share of, uh, of generosity? So I think, I think stories are, are wonderful. Um, and we have a few hands here. Let's wait for the mic. Uh, we'll come. Looks like I, I see three hands on the left side. Maybe up front in the second row here, Elizabeth. And then in front of you and then in the in the back on the left side. Okay. Um, well, I have a question about um, when you were talking about deserve, I deserve this. So oftentimes people, I've heard them say to friends, if they've, something good has happened or to me something good, oh, you deserve that. It, that seems, I've... I've always felt sort of odd about hearing that. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, anyway, it's a comment. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Yeah, um, yeah it, could, it could mean many things, couldn't it? When I hear someone say, you deserve that, it, it, um, you know, we, we probably want to know more what someone was meaning by it. It could mean, I mean, it, at the negative, it could mean, you know, something to do with about entitlement or something. Positively, it could mean, you know, um, Happiness and fullness is your birthright. You know, could, could, so it could be interpreted both negatively and positively, I think. Yeah, thank you. Please. I, I loved what you said, and I just want to thank you firstly to, for sharing that beautiful talk, especially all the traditions and the etymology. It was beautiful. Thank you. Um, You're welcome. had a discomfort around the question around don't hurt yourself. Yeah. And I take universal guidance in the giving and it's led me in the direction of risking a lot personally. So are you my universal guidance today letting me know that it's too much, Catherine? (laughs) Or, or, you know, it's like I'm involved in this big endeavor and it's just saying this is right, even though that's a lot of personal risk. So I just had a bit of discomfort around that question. That's that's interesting. I didn't didn't go into much detail 
on what not harming oneself means. And uh, I, think, I think, again, it could be interpreted in a number of different ways. And um, above all, all this is a practice, which means it's not following one really tight rule, but it's really exploring and looking. And so we wouldn't want to interpret this to mean don't take risks, right? Or don't, uh, don't explore. So I think a lot of it is, uh, um, in my experience, probably you found the same thing, really listening to one's intuition and one's heart. And of course, that could be in some ways mistaken, but it's, it's important to follow it and then make corrections. So we wouldn't want to inter- interpret that not harming oneself, meaning play it really safe, right? Um, but it's, it, it is there in the teachings. Let me see if I can actually find the the wording. Um, I'm not finding it immediately. Um, okay, yeah. But, but it's a great, again, a lot of this is the looking, it's the practice, and to, um, yeah, to, to be able to know uh, one's own motivation, sometimes by going in excess, sometimes, sometimes by giving what you may later think was too much. We're only going to learn by the exploration. But, but the idea very clearly in the text is that it's not deliberately hurting oneself. Yeah. Okay, please. Let's see if I, I have a quotation here, which I didn't read. I'll see if I can find that. So um, thank you very much for bringing this, this topic here. I appreciate it. Um, my partner and I have been talking about this a lot at home over the last several oh, yeah. months and with yeah, our yeah. son and how we can kind of incorporate this into yeah. daily life. And, you know, for our son who's nine, it doesn't, like, carrying money around to give away doesn't make sense, right? Yeah. It's not something he's going to do. So, you know, we also talk about things he can do. And um, one of my favorite things that we've talked about is um, having generosity of thought. Mm-hmm. And it's, um, it is a real intention to think about it. And it could be something really simple, like somebody cut you off, you know, you could think, okay, well, they're probably, they probably have something really important going on and they need to right. get there. So, so they should go. Or it could be, you know, if you weren't invited to a party or something, or, you know, somebody didn't consider you for something, um, you know, the generosity of thought that these things are often not intentional. And, um, and, and I think it helps, you know, inside just sort of stay a little bit more calm and, and peaceful about mm-hmm. that. And also, you know, helps maintain good feelings about other people, regardless about what's going on around you. Yeah. No, I, I, I like that identification of uh, generosity of thought, and particularly, you know, what is suitable for children. You know, and I, I could think of something, for example, that could be good for your nine-year-old, but also very good for us. What if your generosity practice was uh, for a week to say, let me... Uh, let me tell two people a day what I appreciate about them. That would be a form of generosity. And again, appreciation is generally uh, something we don't do so much in the culture. You know, there might be a lot of exceptions individually here, 
but generally at most places at work, people are busy, right? And so simply giving uh, generosity in the form of appreciation or thank you uh, would be a very significant form and something really suitable, be a wonderful habit to develop for a, a nine-year-old, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, thank you. Okay, please, yeah. Um, I just, I loved what you said. I, I've been really chewing on the idea of generosity being linked to fearlessness. Yeah. Um, and just thinking of sort of living in sort of a time with a lot of anxiety and to offer up um, sort of the opposite of that, mm-hmm. uh, fearlessness. And, you know, I think a lot of times when I'm not generous of thought, um, it's because there's a certain amount of fear there. Um, right. And so thinking of, generosity being this act of fearlessness really, I think, very beautiful way yeah, to look at that's, it. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, it really points to the way that, uh, you know, I hope that we've had a, a much more expanded sense of what generosity is. It's not just about material giving, but it could be that generosity of thought. It's really, you know, I think, again, maybe ultimately the generosity of our being when we have these qualities like not, you know, lack of fear, lack of anxiety, and that we, we uh, focus our own practice, if there is anxiety, to cultivate that and then offer that to people around us. It's like we're giving them the gift of our practice, in a sense, which is beautiful. And um, um, again, it's interesting in the listing, the, uh, that sense of fearlessness was actually in some sense rated higher than material giving. Right? That's interesting, isn't it? And then the gift, the gift of the teachings being the highest gift, at least in that one list I read, you know, from the tradition. Yeah. Yeah, please. Well, an immediate way that we can be generous right here and now is there's a basket back there for the homeless meal, so... Yeah, especially at this time, right? Yeah. Yeah. Should we say more that the, the basket is on the back table? Yes. And, and is available. Yeah. Available for um, starting generosity practice for the week before you leave the hall. <laughs> okay. Please. What comes to mind is generosity of spirit, helping your neighbors, offering to walk their dog, offering to do grocery shopping for somebody that maybe is sick or has a broken I I have a neighbor who has a broken leg and just offering to help others so sorry so just generosity of spirit yeah I think what what, uh, I'm inviting is just to take on a practice it can be you know doing one thing a day won't occupy all your time for the next week but it's basically Taking on the practice, I will commit to cultivating generosity and you can see what form it takes. And then it's just really opening to the creativity and just see what comes to mind because there's a lot of creativity. It could be something that you're aware of and just to take that on as a practice for the next week. And maybe, again, maybe you're already doing aspects of it. Please, Elizabeth. Um, May I request some generosity also here in a certain way. When we finish today, could you take your chairs 
over and put them in in stacks of not more than six um, on that side of the room, but out of the way of the doors of the closet. Yeah. Thank you. I was I was just thinking when I go to social settings. I have a better time if I'm more generous. Yeah. And if I'm greedy, meaning quiet, pulled back, protecting what's mine, yeah. I have a lousier time. So, so anyway, I just, I think, especially thinking about the holidays and all the parties and all the, you know, sort of places you have to go and you're like, oh, I don't really want to go, but I'll eat the, eat the turkey or whatever. <laughs> but yeah. if I'm generous, you know, it'll go better. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, what came to mind when you said that was just my own mind thinking of going to parties which may have potluck gatherings and just thinking of some of the difference of what I feel when I bring something that's offered generously as opposed to maybe for good reasons, I'm busy, I don't bring anything. And there's, I, I feel, I think, more of a sense of interconnection in the first instance more, and so there's something, again, about generosity which is connective, which opens the heart, the kind of letting go. Um, yeah. I found the passage about not hurting oneself. Let's see if this gives any illumination. I didn't read this. These five are a person of integrity's gifts. Which five? A person of integrity gives a gift with a sense of conviction. A person of integrity gives a gift attentively. <laughs> a person of integrity gives a gift in season. I think that means at the right time. <laughs> so there can be a wrong time to give gifts. <laughs> okay. A person of integrity gives a gift with an empathetic heart. A person of integrity gives a gift without adversely affecting oneself or others. So that was... That's the extent of the, the guidance there, without adversely affecting oneself. And again, that could be interpreted in different ways. Um, could, did, you, did you have another point? Okay. You know, going back to the idea of doing, um, you know, one generous act every day or something like yeah. that, or if you're, you know, Sylvia, five generous acts every day. <laughs> I, I like the idea of five because I think we do things... Um, I think we do generous things every day that we don't necessarily recognize. Right. And so when it's late in the evening, you're like, oh, I've only done three. You know, you can go back and sort of rehash your day. That's right. And think of other ways that you have been generous or other ways you could be generous um, that, that don't take a lot out of your day. That's, that's a great points, really. I think part of taking on this practice would be actually realize how generous we often are, that we might not actually track it as generosity. And that, that's a wonderful point in that having the focus on generosity might have us say, oh, look at that. I let that person in. You know, I let that person in who was trying to get in the lane, right? I let that person in or I, I just, uh, you know, I was, someone called me a friend who's in need and I actually, even though I was busy, I gave of my time, something like that. And so we can notice those aspects of generosity, which I think is really important. And it's really to highlight that sense of um, generosity as an ongoing practice linked with our mindfulness, right? And linked with our care. And again, the two aspects are cultivating the generosity and then seeing what may get in the way. Again, as much as possibly non-judgmentally, just noticing what's there. And we'll, have, we'll have next week, we'll have true confessions. <laughs>
Okay. I'll take it. Any other questions on this side? My generosity of spirit is going to be challenged this week against my judgmental character. Right. My daughter is flying in from New York with her new boyfriend. <laughs> um, as an ex-Army officer and a, and a lawyer, I've developed really strong sense of judgment. And, uh, it's, and it's going to be really difficult for a week. And I will not be here next week because I will be with them. Okay. So, uh, you, could, you could send an email. Yeah, I'll send an email. And in the meantime, I'll ask for a lot of meta. Yeah, I would say make a strong commitment for the week, and you can check in, send an email to me, Care of Spirit Rock. I know where to find that can, it. That can support your practice. Thank you. You're welcome. Okay, so let's sit just for a moment. And let me just ask for a show of hands. How many of you are intending to take on a generosity practice for the next week. Okay, you can do it whether or not you're coming back next week. Okay, great. So that's, that's great. We have a, we have a quorum. <laughs> okay, and uh, so just sit right now and ask yourself, do I have a sense now of what form my generosity practice might take out of um, several possibilities mentioned? And then if you do, make a commitment in your own heart with your own intention. Make a commitment just for this next week for whatever that practice is. Then we'll close by the uh, very traditional dedication of merit, which in a way is an intention practice and I think very much connected with generosity that we remember that we practice very much for our own well-being. We practice for the well-being of those in our own circles, but we also practice to offer the benefits that develop out beyond our own circles to the larger horizon of all beings, that we offer our practice to all beings, again, remembering that we are part of all beings. So thank you very much, and I I look forward to uh, next time, and be interesting to hear what your practices are. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed to continue these offerings, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.